One of my favorite Christmas hymns is the one written by Charles Wesley. Hark the herald angels sing. I'm sure you know the words of the song. Hail the heavenly born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. In this beloved song is a bit of controversy in the third verse because of the spelling of a word. Is it son, S-U-N, of righteousness, or is it son, S-O-N, of righteousness? You will find both spellings in various hymnals, which, of course, completely changes the words in the lyrics to this Christmas hymn. Well, it should be S-U-N, son. But how odd that the songwriter Charles Wesley should call Jesus a son, S-U-N, when we know him to be the son, S-O-N, of God. It is son because it is directly taken from the Scriptures in the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament and the last of the prophetic books in the Old Testament, written 400 years before the coming of the Savior to be born as a babe of Bethlehem. I'd like for us to see this morning the reasons why Jesus is referred to as the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Malachi, chapter 4. We're going to study verses 1 to 6. Malachi, chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Now, as you're turning to this passage, it's important to understand the cultural context in which the people lived. It was not a great time for the people of Israel. They were living in dark and hopeless times. They had returned back to their homeland from their exile as basically refugees. They lived under foreign powers who oppressed them. And, they, and there were many people who tried to take advantage of the already depressed situation. It seemed like God was absent in their lives, as evil people seemed to prosper, and seemingly those who put their faith in the one true God were not blessed by Him. Many thought that God didn't really care about them, so there was not really a reason to live faithfully in righteous lives. For some, perhaps, they didn't feel it was worth it to serve God in the world in which they lived. Some still looked for the promised Messiah, their Savior. But for most, they were simply too busy with their lives and dealing with the issues of their depressed life that the memories of the coming of the promised one were fading. It is in this context, very similar to the world in which we live today, that the prophet Malachi was sent by God to encourage his people to show them that their feelings weren't necessarily reality. God had not abandoned them but deeply cared for them. And the Lord, through His prophet, would give hope to people living in a world of hopelessness by reminding them of the promised Messiah. Of course, in their perspective, they didn't know that there would be two advents, two comings of Jesus. They were simply reminded of the hope of Christ. This Christmas season, I want us to be reminded of four Christmas hopes we have through the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness. I read now verses 1 to 3 of Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble, 
And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. That will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness, shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Perhaps to our surprise, the first thing we read about in this last chapter in the Old Testament is that the Messiah is going to bring judgment to all the arrogant people of the world and to all the evildoers, as verse 1 tells us. And then we're told in verse 3 that he will trample and crush the wicked, that they will be like ash under the feet of the righteous. It's almost jarring, the image of God promising to punish those who are evil, and his judgment is so complete, there isn't going to be anything left of the unrighteous. Now, this imagery isn't certainly the imagery we have during Christmas. We don't read these verses very much because they are so jarring, and this certainly isn't a theme we hear much during Christmas time today. But perhaps we should to bring hope and encouragement to people who feel like there's so much injustice in this world. The people were told when the Messiah comes, he will bring true and satisfying justice for all who have suffered injustices and are oppressed. If I were to ask you today, if money is not an issue, what is the gift you so desire this year? Perhaps those who are younger and less spiritually mature would think of a toy a new gadget, or some material thing like a new television, a new phone, a new car, or a new house. But you know, as I've talked to a few people and asked them this question during these past few weeks, I've been surprised by some of their answers. Common themes of gifts that they would want would be things like a wrong will be made right, that people will be held accountable that there would be justice in something that they were going through, or that the truth will come out and prevail. It's surprising that these would be the responses of the people in our community. I guess there are lots of people who have been burned this year or feel like life has treated them unfairly. But my friends know this, that when the Messiah comes again, He will right all wrongs and He will punish the wicked This has been a running theme throughout the Scriptures because God is a holy God. He is just and He is righteous. You see, the first Christmas hope is this, number one. God rights all wrongs and brings justice to all. God rights all wrongs and brings justice to all. He will punish evil people and call to account all those who do unrighteous things. This is indeed a message of hope. That's why he is the Son, S-U-N of righteousness. Because just like the Son which burns, the Son of righteousness will burn and destroy those who do evil things. This is how Jesus is portrayed here in the book of Malachi. I came across a news article from a few years back reporting on a dense layer of smog choking much of eastern China with air pollution in more than 100 Chinese cities measuring well above levels the World Health Organization considers hazardous to human health. According to an op-ed published by the country's state-run media network, CCTV, apparently China smog has benefits 
Huh? What a spin. Journalist Wang Lei argues that while air pollution is a universal enemy, in some ways, the smog is improving the lives of citizens, even as it jeopardizes their health and safety. There are five benefits of China's widespread air pollution, Lei writes. Number one, smog unites people against the common enemy. Number two, it promotes equality because it harms the lungs of both the rich and the poor. Number three, smog has opened people's eyes to the price China has had to pay for becoming the world's factory. Fourth, it makes people funnier because they have to use sarcasm and jokes to cope with it. And five, the fifth, learning about smog has increased people's knowledge about meteorology, history, geography, and physics. It even strengthens someone's use of the English language. Lay asks, would you even know the words haze and smog if we didn't have this problem? Jay Busby comments on this article, that's some interesting rationalization. Following that line of thinking, hurricanes and typhoons also unify people by forcing them to leave their isolated homes and gather in collectives. Tornadoes give people a sense of the power of nature. Wildfires place everyone on an equal footing by burning everyone's possession to the ground, whether you're rich or poor. See, the problem isn't nature, the problem is you. In future weeks, expect the Chinese government to endorse smoking because it toughens your lungs. Junk food because purchasing larger items of clothing helps the textile industry. And reality television gives you a healthy distrust of your closest friends and family. Oh, but the disinformation campaign isn't done. In the Global Times, the newspaper connected to the Communist Party's preferred publication of the People's Daily. It noted that the smog has a defensive benefit. Smog may affect people's health and daily lives, the newspaper wrote, but on the battlefield, it can serve as a defensive advantage in military operations. Their article pointed to military operations in Kosovo and Saudi Arabia that use smoke as a means of obscuring the enemy's sight lines and fouling electronic equipment. The spies can't see into China with the smog. Now, regardless of your political persuasion, one has to laugh at these reasonings. The spin and the manipulation done by all governments around the world can be at times too much. And we feel so powerless to go up against the propaganda machines. And the sad part is that so many undiscerning people, unthinking people, simply buy into it and believe these things as truth, to the point that nowadays it's often hard to know what is truth or not and who is right or wrong. And you and I have experienced where we try to argue with people about what is truth, but it is no use. The Christmas hope is that in Christ, one day, when He comes back, the righteous will triumph over wickedness. The wicked will be punished. The truth will prevail. This is the hope that Christ brings to the table, or else we will get angry, bitter, and even depressed, thinking that all hope is lost because the unrighteous, the untruthful people are winning. My friends, don't worry. The Son, S-U-N of Righteousness, will ensure that no one escapes punishment. No one gets away with anything. Everyone will be held accountable to what they say and what they do. What great hope. Now look at verses 2 and then also verse 4. 
But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. Verse 4, remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. I love the imagery of how the Son of Righteousness blesses those who are righteous and live in obedience to him. Just as the Son brings warmth, light, and life to all on earth who depend on the life-giving rays of the sun, so does the promised Messiah. There is healing in his wings, meaning under his protective care, those who fear the Lord will experience emotional, physical, and most importantly, spiritual healing. And not only healing, abundant blessings from the Lord will come. Look how the blessed are described. You will go out and grow fat, like stall-fed calves. You should probably underline this verse in your Bible. It's one of my favorite verses. It says, you will grow fat. Fat is associated with blessings. That's what I tell my wife. It's okay for your husband to be fat. It's in the Bible. It just shows people that we're blessed. That's what it is. It's in the Bible. Now, this imagery of stall-fed calves gives us an imagery that these calves have guaranteed food, right? They are not free-range in that sense because there is one who takes care of them to make sure that they have food to eat. And then they have the pasture land that is all theirs to graze and enjoy while being protected. So it's not only a picture of promised blessings, but assured blessings. It's like the Lord brings us to a buffet with 500 food choices and says, it's all yours. Eat as much as you want, and don't worry. There won't be anyone to tell you that there's a time limit, and no one will be there to make you feel guilty for eating too much. And your wife won't also be there to stare at you as you make your 10th trip to the ice cream machine. That is, in our current context, the emphasis of this verse, really. You shall grow fat like stall-fed calves. Now, all kidding aside, these blessings that are assured is because the light of the Messiah has come to dispel the darkness of the lives we live and to bring hope to the hopeless situations we think we're in. That's why throughout the Scriptures, Jesus, the promised Messiah, is associated with the imagery of light. In Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 to 3, it proclaims these words. Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 to 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. The Bible tells us the Messiah will rise like the sun does at the beginning of the day to bring light and to shadow the darkness of the night. Then using the same imagery, the Lord Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 12, he declares, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And even at the end of times, in the new heaven and new earth, Revelations chapter 22, verse 5 says this, Revelations 22, verse 5, there shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. 
Isn't that wonderful? Jesus will, ser- will serve as the source of light forever. Jesus will be the light we need for all eternity. And that's why the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness is the correct usage. Because the hope of the Messiah is the hope of the eternal light that pierces the darkness of our lives. By the way, just a, as a theological aside, Jesus is never referred to as the Son, S-O-N, of righteousness in the entire Bible. He is the Son of God. He is the Son of man. He is the Son of David. He is the righteous one, Isaiah 52 and 1 John tells us. But he's never called the S-O-N, the Son of righteousness. But again, he is called the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness. He is the eternal light that pierces the darkness of our lives. And that, my friends, is the second Christmas hope for the hope the Messiah brings, number two. God blesses those who live in obedience to him. God blesses those who live in obedience to him. He blesses us with the light of life. He blesses us with abundant things, often things that money cannot buy. And God's blessings are for those who live in obedience to him. You see, not only are the wicked punished, but those who live rightly will be blessed. That's why verse 4, Malachi chapter 4, tells the people to remember. Remember God's command. The Hebrew word for remember is the Hebrew verb zakar. Zakar has the emphasis of not only recalling something, but in their recollection, they were to do. They were to live out the action of obedience. You see, contextually, by the time of Malachi, it had been about a thousand years since the Mosaic laws were given at Sinai. And throughout Israel's history, as you read through the Old Testament, you'll find statements by their leaders and by themselves saying that they would always remember the Word of God and never forget it. But in reality, they forgot it. Or they only had a cursory knowledge of it And in fact, it was spotty at best. Or they pick and chose what they wanted to remember and the laws that they followed. And they only remembered the bits and pieces of it they wanted, which sounds very much like Christians today. How many Christmases do we celebrate and remind each other because of the busyness of the season? Remember the reason for the season. Remember the reason for the season. But guess what? Nothing changes. We are spiritually and emotionally the same person entering and leaving the season. We do not grow closer to Christ. We do not become more Christ-like. And yet we remember. My friends, remembering doesn't do anything unless it is accompanied by action. That's why we have to be reminded to remember zakar, to take action. That's why we encourage you to come to church every week to be reminded to remember God's truth. Yes, to some, I may sound like your parents nagging you, but as your parents would say, we're not nagging, we are reminding. I remember the story of a teenager who once wrote this letter to Ann Landers, who was an advice columnist. It would be similar to posting it uh, on Reddit. He writes these words to Ann. I'm a 15-year-old. And my biggest problem is my mother. All she does is nag, nag, nag. From morning till night, it is turn off the television, do your homework, wash behind your neck, stand up straight, go clean your room. How can I get her off my case? Signed, pick, pick, pick. 
The response from Ann Landers, you're picky. Turn off the television. Do your homework. Wash behind your neck. Stand up straight. Go clean up your room. Then she will stop nagging. God has been reminding these people for a thousand years. And although they have tired of hearing it, the reason God has to tell them over and over and over again is because they simply weren't doing it. God's reminder was a call for complacent people to spiritual renewal. It is the same for us today. God has reminded us through His Word for over 2,000 years of His soon coming. Have you forgotten? Or do you remember and live accordingly? Remember, our hope is that God blesses those who live in obedience to Him. So let's remember to live out Christ's likeness as we celebrate Christmas, because that is the very reason we remember the season. Verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. In this prophetic verse from the perspective of the people of Malachi's time, God said He would send a man in the same mold and the similar ministry as Elijah of old who would call the people to repentance before the coming of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a reference to the time He will come and rule on David's throne during the millennium in the second coming of Christ. And this Elijah person prophesied is most likely one of the two witnesses referred to in Revelations chapter 11. Now, if you remember, Elijah, the prophet, was an amazing man of faith in the darkest times of Israel's history. But he spoke with conviction. He turned the Israelites back to God at the time of their worst apostasy, when King Ahab and Queen Jezebel had made Baal worship the official religion of Israel. The life of Elijah is a reminder of what godly men and women can do if they're willing to stand up and stand out in a sinful world. God promised that before the second coming of the Messiah, there would be a forerunner as a prophetic sign of the Lord's soon coming. Similarly, God had sent a messenger, as Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 tells us, in the person of John the Baptist to come as a forerunner to the Messiah to prepare the hearts of the people for the first coming of Jesus. You see, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, 400 years would elapse, and you can just imagine the long wait for the promised Messiah. After a long time of waiting, the excitement would begin to wane, and they would have naturally forgotten the prophecies. But because of where we stand in history, we see how each of the messianic prophecies relating to Jesus' first coming were fulfilled perfectly. Over 400 Old Testament prophecies of Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection were fulfilled perfectly in His first coming. The odds of having all those prophecies fulfilled perfectly are astronomical. But these fulfilled prophecies assure us that the rest of the prophecies concerning Christ's second coming will also be fulfilled exactly as has been recorded in the Bible. So every Christmas we celebrate should remind us that we are one year closer to the promised coming of our Lord. As Christmas reminds us of prophecies fulfilled and prophecies to be fulfilled, the greatest prophecy about the Christ child is that He would come to save mankind from their sins. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, 
everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And how does Jesus fit these roles? Well, Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5 and 6 tell us. Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, my friends, the third Christmas hope is that, number three, Jesus came as the Savior of the world. As was prophesied, so it became reality. Jesus came as a babe of Bethlehem to be the Savior of the world. That's what the people looked for in the Messiah, someone who would save them. If there's a great need that needs to be fulfilled, you don't care about anything else but to have that need fulfilled or that problem solved. For example, if you have cancer, you're looking for a medicine that would absolutely cure you, that would be the best of Christmas gifts. A new car, a new house, more money, yummier food, a vacation is not what you're looking for. You're looking for a cure, and that would be the best gift you receive. Similarly, the world was looking for and needed a Savior, someone who would solve the sin problem once and for all. And Jesus came as the promised, prophesied, perfect gift to give all humanity what it was needing and looking for, a Savior. Jesus didn't come to make us monetarily rich. He didn't come to heal our physical sicknesses. He came to die on our behalf to save us and give us eternal life. That's why we have hope, because the Savior has come. That's what the angels proclaimed to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, verse 11. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, a what? A Savior who is Christ the Lord. My friends, the fallen, sinful world in which we live is looking for hope, and they will find that hope in the person of Jesus Christ. A fallen world needs a Savior. Sinful people need a Savior. And we can find a Savior in the person of Jesus. Dr. W.A. Criswell, pastor of the First Baptist Church in Dallas, said on one occasion, an incident on an airplane flight. He found himself seated beside a well-known theologian. He desperately wanted to start a conversation, and they did get to talk. The man told Dr. Criswell about how he had recently lost his little boy through death. Criswell listened as he told his story. He said he had come home from school with a fever, and we thought it was just one of those childhood things, but it was a very violent form of meningitis. The doctor said, we cannot save your little boy. He'll die. And so the seminary professor, loving his son as he did, sat by the bedside to watch his death vigil. It was the middle of the day, and the little boy whose strength was going from him and whose vision and brain was getting clouded said, Daddy, it's getting dark, isn't it? The professor said to his son, Yes, son, it is getting dark, very dark. Of course, it was very dark for the boy. The boy then said, Daddy, I guess it's time for me to go to sleep, isn't it? He said, Yes, son, it's time for you to go to sleep. 
The professor said his little boy had a way of fixing his pillow just so and putting his head on his hands while he slept. So he fixed his pillow like that and laid his head on his hand and said, Good night, Daddy. I will see you in the morning. He then closed his eyes in death and stepped over into heaven. Reverend Criswell said the professor didn't say anything after that. He just looked out of the window of that airplane for a long time. And then he turned back and he looked at Dr. Criswell with tears coming down from his cheeks. And he said, Pastor, I can hardly wait until the morning. That, my friends, is why we have such hope during Christmas. Because the Savior has been born. Without a hope in the eternal, a hope of life after death, there is no reason to live in this world. With the despair, disappointments, hurts, and senseless deaths of this world, a world without hope is really depressing and sad. It is only because of the Savior Jesus that there is a morning after the dark nights. He is the prophesied and promised Son, S-U-N of righteousness, to bring about a bright and glorious morning just when it is the darkest of nights. Verse 6. And He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Throughout the ministry of Jesus on earth, he said that families would experience division because of their belief on him. But in this prophetic verse, when the future Elijah-like forerunner comes, the people of Israel will unite in their belief of the Messiah. They would turn to him in repentance as a nation, because if they did not, and if the Lord did not send the final messenger to the people, then the Messiah would have no choice but to come and strike the earth with a curse because he's holy, as he has said he would. Many have thought what an ominous and gloomy way to end the Old Testament with the last word being curse. But in reality, if we read this last verse carefully in the context in which it was written, this is actually a verse about God's grace not a verse of hopelessness. You see, a curse is what should have happened, but instead, blessings will be what actually happens. The people will not get what they deserve, which is by definition grace. In the future, the Jewish people, when they finally recognize Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, will experience blessings and not a curse, which is what they deserve. And it is the same in our lives as well. Because of Christ's finished work on the cross, we do not get what we so deserve, we get what we do not deserve. It is the Lord who transforms hearts and changes lives so that we can experience His grace, so that people don't get the curse of what they deserve, but instead receive what they do not deserve, blessings. Remember the third verse of the wonderful Christmas carol, Joy to the World by Isaac Watts? No more let sins and sorrows grow nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. Meaning when Christ comes, he comes to bless and the curse is taken far, far away. You see, the fourth Christmas hope is this, number four. 
Christ came to transform hearts and change lives. Christ came to transform hearts and change lives. My friends, whatever you've done, you can still change, and this change is possible through Jesus' shed blood, His birth, His death, His resurrection. The people of Malachi's time and after had 400 years to turn their lives around until Jesus came the first time as the baby of Bethlehem. But they were not ready as that generation rejected the Messiah. And in this generation, we have had 2,000 years to get ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. Have we allowed the Holy Spirit to transform our hearts and change our lives in preparation for His soon coming? Sadly, often each Christmas season, we celebrate the great moment when God took on incarnate bodily form as the babe of Bethlehem and became one of us to die on our behalf. And we do so with great pageantry that is appropriate for such an amazing event. But we live like He hasn't come, and we live like He won't be coming back. My friends, we're called to live a changed life in anticipation of His return. If Christ came the first time, then there is no doubt He will come back again. Are we ready? Each Christmas, we not only celebrate His first coming, but look with anticipation for a second one. And that should prompt us to let God transform our lives so that we will be ready to meet Him. You and I, my friends, will have missed the Christmas message we were not living the transformed Christian life. It was the day after Christmas at a church in Borden, Kent, England. The pastor was looking at the nativity scene outside when he noticed the baby Jesus was missing from the figures. Immediately, Pastor John Stott turned to calling in the local policeman, but as he was about to do so, he saw little Nathan, a child in his congregation, with a red wagon, and in that wagon was the figure of the little infant Jesus. Pastor John approached Nathan and asked, Well, Nathan, where did you get the little infant Jesus? Nathan looked up, smiled, and replied, Pastor John, I took him from the church. The pastor asked Nathan, Why did you take him? With a sheepish grin, Nathan said, Well, Pastor John, about a week before Christmas, I prayed to Lord Jesus, and I told him, if he would bring me a red wagon for Christmas, I would give him a ride around the block in it. And he did so, so that's what I'm doing. I love the earnestness and the responsibility of this child. He promised to do something, and he actually did it. How many of us have experienced the hope of Christ in the person of Jesus and said we would live our lives for him alone, but then don't do it? We promise this and that, we don't fulfill it. Why don't we start over and do so this Christmas? If Christ came to transform hearts and change lives, will we allow it to happen in our own lives this Christmas? To receive Him as our Savior. And if we've already done so, to be transformed, to be more like Him. The promised Son, S-U-N of Righteousness, has come to bring light for how we should live. Do we follow the path of righteousness that has been illuminated for us to walk in this dark and sinful world? So, my friends, have you found hope in this hopeless world? Do you have the spirit of Christmas hope in your hearts today? 
The hope that God rights all wrongs and brings justice to all. The hope that God blesses those who live in obedience to Him. The great hope that Jesus came as the Savior of the world. The wonderful Christmas hope that Jesus came to transform hearts and change lives. I think Charles Wesley knew what he was doing when he wrote this beloved Christmas song. Because no one ever goes wrong when they just follow the Scriptures. Hail the heavenly-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all He brings, risen with healing in His wings. Mild He lays His glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King. Thank you.